Hello and a warm welcome to another episode of the Wedding Spain podcast. I'm your host, Paul Burge. Thank you very much for joining me wherever you're listening from around the world. The honey-coloured sandstone university town of Salamanca. How many years have I been waiting to come and visit this place, given that I only live a couple of hours away down in Madrid? Finally... We've made it up here, two and a half hours drive, northwest of Madrid. We are in Salamanca City, in the province of Salamanca. That banging noise you can hear is someone cut, cutting jamón in a little jamonería. I'm very close to Plaza Mayor. Oof, big waft of marijuana smoke <laughs> as I walk past here. There's a woman holding a dog in her arms. Earlier on, I saw a woman walking around holding a rabbit in her arms on a lead. It's been an interesting uh, day so far. Beautiful, warm, sunny day. Uh, walking past the terrazas in the centre of Salamanca. What a joy it is to be here on a good Friday afternoon. The city is absolutely heaving with locals and I think tourists alike. Salamanca is, I quote, the pinnacle, the greatest triumph and honour Spain has ever had. So wrote a historian in the 15th century court of Fernando and Isabel. And it's true that this city really is awash with golden sandstone and on a sunny late spring afternoon like today, you really get a sense of that. It's a far cry from the austere granite, grey granite that you see across a lot of Castile. It's lovely to see this warm sandstone, which for me makes me reminisce about my hometown of Oxford. Ochre tinted facades, Latin inscriptions, and these two beautiful and detailed notable architectural styles, which I'll talk about a bit later which jostle cheek by jowl all around the city. And many say that Salamanca is the most graceful city in Spain. And today I'm inclined to agree with them. So yes, here we are in Salamanca. It's my first time here. My only reference for Salamanca until now was a girl I once met when I was about 18 in my hometown of Oxford. She was on a visit to Oxford and I remember her remarking about how Oxford reminded her of her hometown, which is where I am now, of Salamanca. Isn't it funny that all these years later, uh, here I am. Her name was Soledad Fernandez. I wonder what she's doing now and I wonder if she's here today. Wouldn't that be funny if we could meet up? But anyway, I'm not going to let uh, reminiscences get in the way of bringing you what you should know about Salamanca. Most will know it as really the seat of one of the most prestigious universities in Spain, at least. For centuries and centuries, this was really the intellectual heart of the burgeoning Spanish crown's enterprise, the conquistador. Hernán Cortés and uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola were students while Columbus indeed came here in 1486 in an initially unsuccessful attempt to persuade a university commission of inquiry to back his exploration plans. City and university later declined 
and there was a lot of damage done during the Napoleonic Wars. But the Salamountain Crypt today certainly presents a uniformly gorgeous uh, ensemble from Spain's golden age at a perfect harmony of this gold and sandstone, as I said, from which many of its finest buildings are constructed. We're talking a population of about 150,000, student population of around 30,000, uh, so very close to the student population of Oxford University that I know. Geographically, we're in northwest Spain, in the province of Salamanca. Driving time from Madrid, approximately two and a half hours. We're not too far, I suppose, from the northeastern corner of Portugal. As we were driving up, I saw numerous uh, signposts with Portugal on them, which I always think still quite exotic when I see signposts with not just cities on them, but other countries on them. Maybe it's that British island mentality where you don't really get to see, you don't see that. I always like seeing frontier destinations and bordering country destinations. But anyway, I digress. Bit of history for you as I uh, wend my way down towards uh, the Plaza Mayor. And I think I'm going to try and avoid the crowds. It's incredibly busy here today, as you would expect on a warm and sunny Good Friday afternoon in Semana Santa, where everyone is off. And there are still terrazas and tables and chairs being set up. And we've already, we're already past lunchtime. Most people would have had lunch now, but there are still lots of people doing the uh, sobremesa. It's the art of lingering after your meal, whether it's lunch or dinner. A lingering, I mean lingering, hey? A lingering for a long time, lingering for an hour or two afterwards. Spanish people don't rush once they've finished eating. Let's talk about history in Salamanca. It is a uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. I think it was declared in 2005. I'm not 100% sure. Salamanca was an important Iberian city some 2,000 years before any origins of the university came along. And Hannibal made Salamanca his westernmost possession when he conquered the city in the 3rd century BC. And then later, under the name of Halmantica, its strategic location became increasingly important and therefore it became an important city as part of the Roman Empire. In 1102, after periods of rule from the Visigoths and the Moors, Salamanca was reconquered by the forces of Alonso VI in 1218 and Alonso IX founded the first university in Spain right here. And it wasn't long before it started gaining international reputation. Between the 15th and 18th centuries, Salamanca was the main cultural center of the Spanish Empire. Suffered badly during the War of Independence. It was entered by the Duke of Wellington in 1812, just before the Battle of Salamanca. And I think the other thing that's so important about its geographical location was its position along important Roman thoroughfares and Roman roads, which helped it become uh, a commercial hub before the university came along. Because its location 
is essentially right on the Via de Plata, the Silver Way. And this Silver Way, and so Salamanca was connected by this Via de Plata to the city of Emerita Augusta, today known as Merida, further south down in Extremadura, and also to Astorica Augusta, which is present-day Astorga, further north. The nearby Tarmes Bridge, which crosses the Rio Tarmes, the Tarmes River, and was built in the first century, is part of this road. So for me, and this is something that I've always heard about the city of Salamanca, is its uh, famous Plaza Mayor. Now, I've seen a fair few Plaza Mayores in my years in Spain, and I have to say I'm particularly fond of, obviously, Madrid's and the Plaza Real in Barcelona as well, and numerous others in towns and cities scattered all around Spain. But I'm particularly excited to see the Plaza Mayor of Salamanca, particularly on such a beautiful late spring, sunny evening as it is uh, today. I'm coming to you from Calle de Zamora, the province of Zamora, which is uh, not far from uh, the province of Salamanca. I'm looking across uh, this beautiful sandstone golden wall, which says in yellow tiles uh, with blue letters, Calle de Zamora. And Calle de Zamora is one of the many, I think, four or five streets that lead through archways into the main square of Salamanca. For anyone who's listening to this who's been to maybe the Plaza Mayor in Madrid or Plaza Real in uh, Barcelona or indeed any other Plaza Mayores, they do seem to follow the same format. It's usually a big square surrounded on all four sides by uh, you know, four or five story buildings um, with archways leading through uh, from surrounding streets into the square, usually at each corner or each side. So I'm just about to walk through into Plaza Mayor, supposedly one of the most beautiful and impressive Plaza Mayores in all of Spain. And wow, <laughs> yes, it is very, very impressive. Wow. So, an arcaded square, I think with 82 archways. What I love about this square is that it's got uh, this really warm, ochre, honey-coloured stonework. And we've got the arcades with shops and bars underneath. Lots of people sitting out on the terrazas, which surround the whole square. Very similar to most Plaza Mayores in Spain, I suppose. does remind me uh, quite a lot of um, Plaza Mayor in Madrid. Three balconies with iron uh, railings, uh, kind of a pale brown ochre-coloured shutters. Benches and lampposts scattered around the square. No vegetation, which is also something I've noticed which is quite common in Spain with Plaza Mayores. There are rarely trees and plants, apart from Plaza Real in Barcelona, which has palm trees in the middle. Anyway, um, yeah, lively afternoon here in the square. It's Good Friday. And the interesting thing uh, at the moment, because we're in the Holy Week in Spain, in Semana Santa, is that... Um, 
all around the square, we have these uh, huge banners depicting the names of the various cofradías. I did a, an episode about this, all about Holy Week in Spain and what cofradías are. Cofradías are like brotherhoods. Um, different churches or chapels around the towns and cities of Spain. Each town and city has its own cofradías. And there can be numerous. There can be as many as, I don't know, 20 or 30 or more. I think in Seville is uh, the city where there are the most cofradías, these brotherhoods. And the brotherhoods are the groups of people who bring the big tronos, these big floats, and they carry them as a penitence. And each cofradía is kind of like, uh, I don't know, a members club. I suppose you sign up to be a member of a cofradía. And around the square here in Salamanca, we've got these different banners kind of unfurled, attached to the balconies. I suppose <laughs> advertising is probably not the right word, but announcing the facts that they exist. And they have their... They're all different. Some are small, some are big. Uh, one is black with a little candle in the middle. Another one is dark blue with the letters JN and a metal cross in the middle. Um, another one is black with a very elaborate kind of wreath, symmetric uh, pattern. There's another one over there in green which says Cofradía de la Oración de Jesús en el Huerto de los Olivos. Oh, that's interesting. I quite like that. So this is uh, related to the uh, olive pickers, I suppose. A lot of these uh, cofradías are, are connected to trades groups. At the, I think the north entrance to the square, which is much, much grander, has effectively a kind of bell tower. There are three bells, a clock, and it's slightly more pronounced. This is like the grand entrance into the square. On the balconies on this part of the square, uh, which is... Uh, sitting above five archways and a large central archway. Um, we have one, two, three, four, five, well, 30, 20, I think 20, 21, I've counted those very quickly. I think 21, um, they're like, well, flags made of, look like kind of stiff cardboard, uh, very brightly painted. Um, and I think these 21 flags symbolize or represent the 21 cofradías of Salamanca and again each one they're very beautiful they're very brightly colored they're interesting designs they have symbols and one is just a plain white flag with a wooden cross with some uh, palm fronds tied on it another one is bright red with a black chain there's a purple one with a white geometric pattern anyway there are there's a whole plethora of different designs and colors they're really beautiful and above them are flapping the flags of salamanca the flags of the province of salamanca of spain and of the european union the square is thronging with people all of the terrazas look absolutely packed we've got people milling around in the center of the square people sitting on stone benches licking ice creams or kids playing as I've heard this square describe the living room of Salamanca and it actually really does feel like it. All of life is here this good Friday afternoon. So a little bit more detail about this spectacular square, I must say. Uh, it was built between 1729 and 1755. In fact, I think while I uh, talk about the square, I'm going to see if I can do a lap just so that you guys, the listeners, get a, a kind of nice uh, sense of the atmosphere of the square at the moment. I'm stood 
right in the centre of the square, looking up at the clock tower and the clock and those flags that I was just talking about. I'm going to head into one of the sh- more shaded uh, cloisters of the square. And each archway has a lovely lantern hanging inside it. And in front of the uh, arches... Uh, oh, here's a, a tour group, Spanish tour group. group of about 30 people there. The guide, as you could hear, is giving the tour in Spanish. So I'm just walking in to under the cloisters. I'm going to do a lap of the square. And I would say very similar to Madrid. All of the businesses under the cloisters tend to be restaurants and bars. As I was saying... Square was built between 1729 and 1755. And it's widely considered, as I had heard, to be Spain's most beautiful central plaza. And I think I might go along with that. There's something about it that feels grander than the Plaza Mayor in Madrid and somehow more ornate, more detailed. It was designed by Alberto Churriguera. Fantastic name, Churriguera. And is comprised essentially of a Baroque style. Now, this is the interesting thing, uh, that if you look around the square, each side of every arch, basically the top of each pillar of each arch, um, there is a medallion. And each medallion bears the bust of famous figures, essentially. So if I just step back out of the cloister and look up to the one that's nearest, nearest to me, there is a bust on this medallion. So there's a circular stone engraving into the sandstone arch, into the sandstone pillar. Um, and this one that I'm looking at is of Carlos V, Philip II, and then if I walk along a bit more, Philip III. Now we're moving into the very frilly collar. Perdón. There's a guy wheeling a load of uh, chairs from a terraza past me. So we've got all of the Philips here. We've got Philip II, Philip III, and Philip I, I think, there. They're frilly collars, all carved in very detailed... Uh, I don't know, it looks like marble or... There's Isabel. So I've ducked back into the cloister, under the cloister again. It's quite incredible to think that bullfights... Corridas. Bullfights were held in this square until as recent as 1992. I'm just seeing a, a group of teenagers and some adults as well dressed in black uniforms carrying big brass instruments which are reflecting in the afternoon sun. They're exiting the square. They're not playing, obviously, as you could be able to hear that. Don't know who they are, what they're, whether they're part of one of the processions, maybe. So as I continue my lap around the Plaza Mayor of Salamanca, oh, here's a shop, Confiteria Madrileña. That's interesting. It's a sort of Madrid sweet shop, packed with chocolate, Easter eggs, and Easter sweets, and Easter pastries, pastas de té, torrijas kind of egg custard breads dusted in cinnamon very big in Spain at this time of year I've just had my first one uh, a little bit earlier 
absolutely delicious. Kind of like a bread pudding for anyone who knows what that is. Sprinkled with cinnamon. Anyway. Anyway, talking about busts and masonry and sandstone, probably uh, a good moment to talk a little bit about the architecture in Salamanca because there's something quite unique about it, I would say. There are two distinct styles which have been used in the city. One is called plateresque, which is a, a kind of decorative technique of kind of very shallow relief and very, very intricate detail. And the name comes from the style's resemblance to the art of a silversmith. And Spanish for silversmith is platero. So yes, you could imagine, you know, this a very decorative silver plate which is engraved in fine detail. Well, this style of architecture is reminiscent of that. And then this, in combination with Salamanca's very soft, easily carved sandstone, also played a significant role in the, in the style's development. And this plateresque style cuts across Gothic, Renaissance, all frontiers. And many of these decorative motifs are taken from the Italian style, uh, of which we'll see on the uh, facade of uh, Salamanca's incredibly famous university, which I will talk about uh, in detail. And the second style, the latter, is this churrigueresque style, which is an especially ornate version of Baroque. And this takes its name from, as I mentioned, the architect José Churriguera. And he was very well known for flamboyant altarpieces in churches all across Spain. Those are the two distinct styles that you uh, will see around Salamanca. A group of girls were walking past me in deep purple velvet cloaks with yellow ropes around their neck and, and crosses. Part of a procession later on. Those are the two distinct art architectural styles. Um, and I think the thing that really just strikes me uh, as, a first as my first time to Salamanca is just the colour of the stone, this gorgeous... Uh, sandstone warm ochre sandstone color you know around central spain what you tend to see a lot of is gray granite and now as i look across the square through one of these arches, these 82 archways the sun is uh, still high in the sky but it's starting to dip down and we're getting these lovely long shadows from the uh, metal balconies the railings which are casting these diagonal shadows And just going back to the University of Salamanca, and I will talk about the university in a bit more detail a little bit later in the podcast episode, it's uh, worth noting that uh, Salamanca is famous for its uh, New Year's Eve celebrations, but particularly, I suppose, because of its high student population. The university has its very own version of New Year's Eve, and it's called the Noche Vieja Universitaria, and it's usually held, apparently, on the, uh, the Thursday of the last week of school in December, so the last week of university, uh, which is actually a good two weeks before the real New Year's Eve that the rest of us may celebrate on their own student version of the New Year's Eve. Where do all of these students congregate to party? Well, of course, right here in Plaza Mayor. And what a spectacular setting to spend your very own uh, student New Year's Eve haciendo botellón as they uh, as they say in Spain doing the botellón the big bottle which is uh, getting a little bit inebriated drinking in a public place 
with your group of friends or your peña, your drinking buddies, your peña, uh, in the square. And that's what they do here, two weeks before the real thing. And uh, as part of those festivities, there are various performances, live music, concerts, uh, until they do the countdown to midnight, which I imagine they will observe from the clock at which I am looking right now, uh, which is marking five to five. And what a spectacular place to come and people watch. And I can see people sat here in front of me now. There's a couple of very large gin and tonics in balloon glasses, coffee, some wine. There is a Starbucks on the square, um, which I feel a little... I don't know how I feel about that. There are people sipping Starbucks coffee out of plastic see-through cups with the green straws. There's a big ham on. Ham on is, big legs of ham hanging up in the restaurant window. And I'm walking past now, and it's what I, one of my favourite sights in Spain. And here it is, alive and well, at least in the square here, is the old kiosco, like newspaper stand. A lady sat behind the newspaper stand. Looks like she's writing in her ledger, writing down her accounts in a sort of pink book with carbon between each page. Yeah, she's tapping on a calculator, adding up the takings, I suppose, for each newspaper magazine. We've got these wooden shelves with all the Spanish newspapers here, El Mundo, El País, the local newspaper, which is called La Gaceta de Salamanca, La Marca, Spain's football newspaper of reference. And she's completely surrounded by glossy magazines about travel, interior design, gossip magazines, Pronto, Lectus, Hola... And as I walk past, I just get that waft of newsprint. This is something this is disa- which is sadly disappearing. Nobody uh, out on the balconies of the square, apart from one guy leaning nonchalantly across one of the balconies, taking a selfie of himself with the square behind him. It must be a pretty good view from up there. I did wonder if we would come across a procession or not, and lo and behold... I can see uh, a trono, which is like the float, with uh, an effigy on it. I don't know if it's the Virgin or Jesus. And dozens and dozens of Nazarenos. These are the people taking part in the procession, dressed in white cloaks and wearing the green capirote, which is the the green cone-shaped hat with the eye holes cut in it. These are kind of like a bright green. They're all wearing green caperotes and white cloaks with black black uh, belts. Just passing in the distance at the end of the street. I can't quite make out what is on the uh, float, but there you go. It's a, a Good Friday procession. Making its way very slowly, I must add. Uh, they are walking incredibly slowly. So I've winded my way up hill slightly to the uh, Biblioteca Pública, the public library. But this isn't any old public library. Oh, no. I'm staring up at this huge facade, again in sandstone. It's on a street which is La Compañía, company in little tiles. And this facade is completely covered in 
shells, conchas, and it is actually known as La Casa de las Conchas, the House of Shells. Beautifully carved sandstone shells, equally spaced out. This lady is shouting because there's going to be a procession coming by here soon. Anyway, so this facade is absolutely covered in these ornate shells. And yes, so it has some 300 scallop shells clinging to its facade. Oh, I'm just realizing it's not just one facade. I just caught my eye as I walk around the corner. It's on the other side of the building as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so there are more and more shells. People everywhere. There are people sitting absolutely everywhere. So apparently the house's original owner, a Dr. Rodrigo Maldonado de Talavera, he was a doctor at the court of Isabel and a member of the Order of Santiago. And of course, as many of you well know, the, the symbol of the Camino de Santiago is the shell, which I believe was bought you know, by, by pilgrims who used to take a shell from the sea once they'd reached the destination at Santiago de Compostela. I think that's the story, I can't remember. But you'll know that the roots of the Camino de Santiago are marked by little milestones, which depict normally a yellow shell on a blue background. So now it houses the public library. Uh, let's go and quickly stick my head in. Just opposite the uh, Casa de las Conchas, it's a very grand building, which is part of the University of Salamanca. And this is called La, La Clerecia. And this is a Baroque Catholic church, a church tower with big red wooden doors and uh, steps leading up to it. The steps are absolutely full of people, I believe, waiting for a, uh, a procession to pass by. And if we walk into the library, seriously hard to believe that this is a municipal library. You walk up some steps and into this absolutely gorgeous courtyard, cloistered courtyard again with this gorgeous soft sandstone, which I'm just rubbing with my hand now. It's so soft, you can literally scratch off pieces into your hand. Wow. This courtyard's lovely. The, the thing that I find about it it's really interesting is the balconies on the second floor of the uh, cloisters um, have this kind of... <laughs> how can I describe it? There are two types. One looks like honeycomb. It's so intricately carved that it literally looks like honeycomb. And then on some of the other balconies are carved again. This is all from sandstone. It looks like... It looks like it's been woven, like literally, if you could weave stone to create a sort of wicker, like a wicker basket effect, they've managed to achieve this in sandstone. Wow, absolutely incredible, really ornate. What a beautiful little space this is. And then in one of the corners, hanging above a selection of Aspidistra plants, is uh, it's like a chandelier made from shells but actual real shells these are not carved from stone <laughs> so 
I'm now coming to you from the Patio de Escuelas, school patio. Over there on the wall it says Rectorado, Universidad Rectorado. This is the university's rectory. Lovely little square again, all in very ornate sandstone. The little uh, wooden doors uh, with uh, little tiles next to them in blue and white with numbers and then inscribed on the wall it says there were different things it says Servicio de Asuntos Sociales Green Office Social Services There's the Museum of Salamanca You can hear a tour going on behind me The level of detailed carving in this city is just absolutely mind-boggling everywhere you look but let's just talk about the university of salamanca because really this is what the city is most known for originally founded in 1134 uh, but it wasn't until 1218 that it was given the royal charter of foundation uh, and then it became the estudio general and this was granted by alfonso the ninth of leon and indeed, it was the first university to receive the title of university in 1254. And so, La Universidad de Salamanca, really the date we can put on it is 1218 as a foundation date. These dates of universities are always uh, a little bit uh, misty. But in any case, it became the most important university in Spain. And it rose to international fame, international stature. And within 30 years, Pope Alexander IV proclaimed it equal to the greatest universities of the day, as great as that of Oxford, Paris and Bologna. And I must say, I'm glad that Oxford gets a shout out there and not Cambridge, the other place. I'm joking, this is nonsense rivalry. But it was counted, the University of Salamanca, up there as one of the great universities many theories which were formulated right here were later accepted as fact throughout Europe. The university continued to flourish under the Catholic kings, Los Reyes Católicos, and in the 16th century it was uh, powerful enough to resist the orthodoxy of Philip II's Inquisition. But eventually freedom of thought was uh, sadly stifled by extreme uh, clericalism of the 17th and 18th centuries. Books were banned for being a threat to the Catholic faith and mathematics and medicine disappeared from the curriculum. And then during the Peninsular War, the French demolished a staggering 20 of the 25 colleges. And by the end of the 19th century, there were no more than 300 students uh, compared to the 6,500 in the late 16th century. So the university massively diminished by that time. Eventually, the university saw a revival in the early part of the 20th century, particularly under the rectorship of the celebrated philosopher and man of letters, as they say in Spanish, who was Miguel de Unamuno. I think that's his statue in the square here. No, it's not. It's, this is Fray Luis. Uh, this is Fray Luis de Leon, who I'll talk about in a second, who's standing looking down in the square here. Today, university student numbers are higher than ever. Around, I think I mentioned it earlier, 30,000 
in Salamanca Uni has a certain uh, social cachet, shall we say, in Spain. Although, <laughs> interestingly, academically, uh, it ranks well behind universities in Madrid, like the uh, Complutense, for example, the University of Barcelona and, and the University of Seville. It does, however, run a highly successful language school and apparently supplies 16% of Spain's market for the teaching of the Spanish language. So anyway, let's go back to what all these people are standing here looking up at. This incredibly, incredibly detailed facade. And I know I keep saying that, but this is another level. There was so much going on carved into this facade, that, which is on the main university building in this kind of ochre sandstone colour. Sunshine picking out perfectly all the detail. And uh, this is really described as the ultimate expression of this plateresque style, which I talked about earlier. And this is covered with medallions and heraldic emblems and floral decorations. But what everyone here is looking for is a hidden frog which lurks on this facade amongst all of this detailed carving. It's said that if you find the frog unaided, it will bring you good luck. And for anyone unmarried, if you find the frog, you will marry within the year. So that's what all these people are doing here. I haven't found it. I've been looking and looking. But there are a good 50 or 60 people here trying to find this frog. Uh, the centre of this facade is occupied by a portrait of Isabel and Fernando and uh, surrounded by a Greek inscription commemorating their devotion to the university. Now behind this facade and I guess what's been described as the highlight of an otherwise modest collection of rooms. Uh, upstairs is the university library, apparently the oldest library in Europe. Now, I'm wondering whether that's true or not, because this is according to my research. Um, so I thought the Bodleian Library in Oxford was the oldest, or the, only, or the oldest university library, at least. I don't know, anyway. It contains some 2,800 manuscripts, Apparently features beautiful carved wooden ceilings. And among the small lecture rooms arranged around the courtyard downstairs, the Aula de Fray Luis de Leon, who is the statue I'm looking at right in front of me, is holding his hand out delicately, casting a shadow onto the patio. Fray Luis de Leon. Fray, by the way, is friar in English. Friar Luis. Well, he was arrested by the Inquisition for having translated, apparently, the Song of Solomon into Spanish. The sardonic theologian then returned to class after five years in jail. I love this. And resumed his lecture with the words, As I was saying yesterday, that the university staircase is there, the Escalera de la Universidad connects the two floors. And apparently this has symbols carved into the balustrade. Uh, of what seem to look like giant insects frolicking with bishops. Now, apparently, to decode the meaning behind this was seen as symbolic of the quest for knowledge. There we go, there's the university clock chiming 6pm.
So those were the chimes of the uh, Salamanca Cathedral, Baroque in style. And it's important to note that uh, Salamanca has two cathedrals. The new cathedral, which I'm looking at now, which again has a vast and amazingly intricately carved facade, which gives way to the uh, two entrances, two red wooden doors studded with metal. This is a late Gothic style and, uh, well, described as compelling Churriguera-esque in its ornateness of uh, Baroque style here. I don't think we can go in at the moment, but apparently the interior is incredibly ornate with elaborate choir stalls. All courtesy of uh, this prolific José Churriguera. And uh, what we're looking at now is the Puerta de... We're looking at now is the Puerta del Nacimiento. And this is on the western side of the cathedral. And this is incredible. If we walk round to the Puerta de, the Puerta de Ramos, uh, there's another frog-spotting-style challenge. But this time, uh, let's have a look. Uh, now we're looking for a little astronaut and an ice cream cone chiseled into the uh, portal and this was done by stonemasons during the restoration work in 1992 and again there are lots of people here looking up at the facade to look for an astronaut and an ice cream cone Um, well I'm going to give myself a few minutes and see if I can find it so just to sum up a little bit This is my first visit to Salamanca, as I mentioned, and um, I think it's absolutely spectacularly beautiful. I think it's one of the more beautiful cities in Spain that I've been to. Uh, I think it's quite unique in terms of the the colour and the architecture, and it's just very entertaining seeing so much detail in almost every other building that you walk past. It's very walkable. Uh, The centre, like I suppose many... Spanish cities is completely pedestrianised, easy to navigate, everything's very clearly signposted. I'm just walking down Calle Gibraltar. Now, another thing I wanted to mention, actually, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, It's just reminded me, walking past it now, the Archivo General de la Guerra Civil Española. Um, Salamanca holds all of the Spanish Civil War archives uh, here. Uh, There's a permanent ex exhibition containing all sorts of documents from the Spanish Civil War and a series of rotating exhibits as well, all again connected with the Spanish Civil War, of course. Thank you for listening and I will be back with a new episode of The Wedding Spain very, very soon. Until the next time, hasta luego.